Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Rob Eigner here. I'm here today with Tammy Matheny. She's the author of an amazing book called The Confident Athlete. And she is a high-level athlete herself, played college basketball and tennis. She's also coached basketball and tennis collegiately and taking some teams very far uh, into the playoffs in both those sports. She's been an athletic director. And maybe most importantly, she's a, a coach, a confidence coach, and has worked with hundreds and hundreds of athletes nationwide, uh, helping them hone their mental aspect of their game. So welcome, Tammy. How are you today? I'm doing well, Rob. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And I, uh, I want to share you know, how I came across you. Uh, I have a, a 16-year-old son who's a college aspirational athlete, and we were on a, uh, a Zoom cast a few weeks back, and you were speaking uh, on this uh, college portal called NCSA, Next College Student Athlete, and I was very impressed with your talk. And so I, uh, being uh, the bold, aggressive guy that I am, I just emailed you and said, hey, you want to be on my podcast? So you did a great job on that show. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be on yours now. Uh, thank you for being here. So tell me, how did you get into being a mindset coach? Like, you know, you were an athlete, you were a, a coach, and obviously you saw something in athletes or in yourself that made you realize what you do now is needed. Well, as an athlete, I was never the strongest or quickest or fastest. Um, and I think early on, my dad was a mental game coach without realizing he was. And I would just hear the importance of being mentally tough, of being confident. And so I would always try to get myself in the best shape physically and mentally as an athlete. And that served me well, since I didn't have you know, the build or the quickness. And that carried on as a coach. And I knew there was something about the mind. And again, when I first started coaching, there wasn't this area of sports psychology. But I remember finding one. It wasn't even a book. It was a little pamphlet on the power of the mind. And I I just read through it and poured through it. And I thought there's something to this. And it resonated with the success I had had. So without really knowing what I was doing, I made sure as a coach, that's what I was teaching my athletes. And again, we were always known to be mentally and physically tough. So what was the first thing, the first tool you remember embracing either as an athlete or as a coach around the mental part of sport? Definitely my self-talk, the power of what you say to yourself. And, and, you know, I think it's important. It can't always be positive, but it can be productive or positive. And I think that's a, a... key component I try to instill in people. And and so would you when you say self-talk, would you say that that's not speaking negatively to yourself or speaking positively, or is it more like mantras or both? I think it's a little bit of everything. And I 
stress that everyone has to find what they're comfortable with. I have my mantras, but it's also that positive or productive talk of telling myself I can do this or, hey, this is what I'm going to do next time instead of beat myself up. Hey, dummy, why did you do that? So uh, I'll, I'll share with you. It just kind of came to me as we're talking. I, I played high school tennis and I was okay. I wasn't like, you know, a world beater, but I was, I was, I was a scrapper. And um, I remember I had this mantra. I'm just thinking about it now. When I was down in a set, I would say to myself, and I'm going to, I'm going to curse on my own show, but I would <laughs> say if I was down, you know, three games to one or whatever, I was like, that eh, doesn't mean shit. I just kept saying that. And I would just go next point. You know, it was kind of my way of just going next. That doesn't mean anything, that shot that you just hit off the, the wood, you know? And mm-hmm. I just, it just helped me move on. Like, just put that behind me. I just kept, I said it a thousand times in a game. doesn't mean anything, you know? I, I like that. But that's so powerful. Instead of wasting that energy and time of, why did you hit that shot? Or, come on, you're better than that. Or, yeah. you know. Now, I'm not going to lie. I did scrape a few rackets on the ground out of frustration. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So, so let me, let me, let me pivot to something else. If you can, you know, quantify it, or if you can say there's a few top things, when you look at athletes, would you say that there's a particular block or type of thing that's causing a lack of confidence that is the most common? Or do you see like some themes that are like, oh, this is the most common area I see athletes beating themselves up or limiting themselves? Well, the thing I see that affects confidence the most is the comparison. Uh, they're comparing themselves to other people. And, you know, social media obviously has affected that a good degree. But they compare themselves to teammates. They compare themselves to whoever they're playing against. And then there's that comparison of of last year. Well, last year I did this. Why am I not doing it this year? So comparison, I think, is, if not the biggest, one of the biggest thieves of our confidence. Mm-hmm. And so how when 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 someone is stuck in that loop, of comparison, which I've been there. I understand what you're talking about. How do you help them break that cycle? Well, it's changing your focus, uh, which your focus and your self-talk are teammates of each other. And if I'm focusing, if you and I are playing against each other, Rob, and I'm focused on your strengths, then the key is to change to what do I bring? What is my strengths? And focusing and my self-talk is on myself. Outside of a competition, you know, one of the first exercises I have athletes do is, is list their strengths. What do they bring to their team? What do they bring to the table in their sport? And to try to get them to focus more on that than what they don't bring. We need to work on our weaknesses. I mean, that builds confidence when you work on skills, but the majority of your focus should be on what you do bring and making sure you bring that to the best of your ability. And how, how much of it do you find that you're tailoring to each specific athlete as opposed to, oh, you know, I've got, I've got these three or five or 10 fixes that kind of work for everybody. Or is it like, oh, I got to do this for Billy and that one for Susie? You have your common fixes, but I, I call it pulling out of the toolbox. I've got to know which tool though is going to work for Billy. I've got to know which tool is going to work for Susie. And it really helps better the relationship, you know, getting to know the athletes that you work with and that enables you to help them. There's general principles. You know, I put four main general principles in my book. But again, we're all different and our brains and bodies work differently. Are you are you uh, willing to share your four main principles? 
Sure. Uh, first one, self-talk. I've already shared that one. Okay. Uh, the second one is body language. I mm-hmm. call it walk the walk. And how we carry ourselves influences our self-talk and vice versa. So those two kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the fake it till you make it. If you walk out into the court or the field, strong body language, and you've got positive or productive self-talk going on, most likely you're going to start with a higher level of confidence. Mm-hmm. The third aspect is see it, be it, just visualization, but also how you see yourself. And, you know, I I use my dog as an example. I have a little 10 pound dog, but she thinks she's about 50 pounds and she thinks she is the king of the roost, queen of the roost. But it's how she sees herself. And I know that's a silly example. but it makes sense. I get that. Yeah. So it's. You know, you look in the mirror, what are you seeing? Someone that's confident or someone that's scared or afraid? And what I like to do is teach athletes, how do you want to start seeing yourself? And let's spend a few minutes every day closing your eyes and actually imagining that person. And let's bring them to life. Going along with the see it, be it is the visualization. And I I think during this time period that we're going through right now, it is even, you know, a stronger tool that we should all be using. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of your top athletes visualize. Drew Brees visualizes in his, his off week. He visualizes his entire game of football. And, and so many athletes do. That's just the first example that popped in my brain. But it, it's such a strong component. Three visual reps equal one physical rep. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is preparation. If you don't put in the work, it's hard to be confident at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah that totally makes sense. Uh, I have to say, I, I relate a bit to your small dog because I'm a, I'm a smaller person, but I always kind of, what I lacked in skill and, and quickness and strength, I just kind of made up with playing bigger than I was, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I relate to that for sure. Um, what have you learned from your athletes? I'm sure as a coach, you know, when you're trying to help implement some of your four strategies or the other things in your toolbox, I'm sure you've come across some athletes that that made you think, wow, that's a that's a whole new door that was opened up or that's something I've never seen before. What What's a, a few things that stand out about some of your athletes? Um, there was one, which is a, a rarity of it's more of a John McEnroe type, but one that talked so negatively and put himself down so much that it was actually a strength for him. Um, which is very rare. And I don't like to train that or teach that, but somehow he used that to fuel himself and he would cuss at himself, put himself down. But again, that's a rare example. I I hate to even mention it to give anybody that idea. Being a tennis player, I know you remember the McEnroe and he used that to get himself going. To get him. Yeah. Use it as fuel. Uh, What do you, what do you tell an athlete uh, when, you know, they're, when they're facing real negativity in the middle of a game, you know, uh, they're, they're down in the fourth quarter and it's a, it seems like maybe an insurmountable score or that kind of thing. How do they, how do you have them tap into that as fuel so they can give it all their effort to, you know, maybe make the unlikely happen? Well, I I think the most important thing is staying in the present moment. If you're down in the fourth quarter or, you know, use the example in your sport, if you're down in the third set or whatever it may be, what are you focused on? You can get overwhelmed if you think, oh gosh, we've got to score 15 points in three minutes. Or you can say, what's important now? 
that's a favorite acronym I like to use, WIN. What's important now? Mm-hmm. And what's important now, if I'm playing basketball, is to run that next play and get the best shot I can. Hopefully we score. Then what's important now is get a stop. And really making our sport simple instead of this overwhelming, oh, my gosh, all this has to happen before we come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And, and that's, that's changing your focus. What, what uh, percentage, if you can put what, a number on it, um, how many athletes suffer from you know, perfectionism? A high number that I've worked with. Uh, I would hate to say that that's across the board, but if I were a betting woman, I would say that. You know, I've seen so many athletes, tennis, for example, they might win a point, but they didn't like their how they hit the ball. Oh, that was an awful forehand. I just got lucky or my opponent was bad. And it's almost like they want to stay in this self-comfort zone of, you know, I'm trying to understand it. And again, each person's different. Um, I see that in golf a lot. They'll go to the driving range and just hit ball after ball after ball, just trying to seek that perfection. And, and I think your strongest athletes, they've learned that they're not perfect, but more importantly, they see imperfection as an opportunity to show how they're good they are. Well, yeah. And also, I, you know, as someone who was an athlete and, and I, I coach myself now, uh, I coach in, in soccer and, uh, you know, it's impossible even the best athlete in any sport, it's in, perfection is impossible. You know, right. when you look yeah. at, you know, the, 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 the example you hear all the time is, you know, you look at the best home run hitters in baseball and they also strike out the most. That's just a fact. You know, they, they have exactly. to, they have to swing at the ball more in order to hit all those, you know, seven or 800 home runs mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So it's just, it's ironic to me. And I get it. You know, when you're in the game, it's like you want to hit that perfect tennis shot or whatever, but it's, it's looking at it as from a coaching perspective, it's like, how would you expect that every shot's going to be perfect? Like that's an impossibility. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you know, that's what I try to look at Jordan. How many game winners did he miss? I forget. And I've heard that stat, but more than he actually game winners that he hit. Even though he hit more game winners than most people. Right. (laughs) But he was willing to take that, take those shots and put himself on the line because it was okay if he wasn't perfect. So what do you think it is that sports brings to the individual that pays off for them throughout the rest of their life once sports is done? First thing is discipline. To be a successful athlete, you know, you're disciplined. You put in the work. You, you go to practice, you're there on time. Uh, the best athletes put in extra work. You know, that carries on into whatever career you go into. And I think also the majority of sports teach us how to work with others. Mm-hmm. Even the tennis or a golfer, you're relying on others. You need your swing coach. Uh, you need your high school team. You need even mom and dad to get you to your tournament. Uh, so it really teaches us that we can't create success alone. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny as a, as someone who, you know, in my business life, I employ people, I hire people and I have a, an admitted bias towards athletes. You know, like if I, if I have two people that are equally qualified in the job, but we you know one played D three basketball, I might lean that way just because of that. Like if that's the deciding factor, I will lean that way. And, you know, most athletes, they have a competitive nature to them. So 
if you're in sales or if you're in, you know, need results, then your athletes are used to that. Yeah. And, and you maybe kind of hit on the exact uh, point I wanted to make with one of the stats I wanted to bring to the table. So I found an interesting stat, 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs were athletes on some level. Now, I'll be curious if you can guess uh, before you comment on that stat, what do you think, what are the top, let's say two or three sports that correspond with the highest achievement in, in business? Just take a guess. Uh, tennis. Okay. So tennis is three. Okay. Golf. Football is two. Football. Football. Okay. I mean, I think I think there's like a, you know, a team rah-rah kind of aspect to it. That's my guess as to why. The the mental toughness too, mental and physical toughness. And then the number one correlation. Um, now obviously there's not as many people that play this sport, but this one surprised me because I actually played this sport in high school. Was the number one was wrestling. Really? Yeah. Very interesting. I like that. It surprised me, um, but it's, um, you know, wrestling, having done it, you know, it is a grind of a sport. You've got to make weight and it's like one-on-one, you're out there all alone and it takes a lot of grit. So I, I guess I understand it, but uh, it did surprise me. So what, what's your overall reaction to that, you know, 95% of Fortune 500 CEOs played sports? Doesn't surprise me at all. I, I had heard a, a similar stat to that but they've learned the skills along their way in life that have made them the successful businessmen they are. So, you know, I've seen similar stats about the best, you know, workforce people played sports. Now the sports are what surprised me when you threw out that, but. Yeah. The, uh, the, the wrestling one really surprised me, Yeah, but, but as I thought about it, having done it for a few years in high school, I was like, yeah, you know, it was, it was yeah. maybe the most demanding thing I had ever done in terms of, sports of any kind. Yeah. And they, and they, on the same um, article that I found, they talk about all the reasons an employer should hire athletes. They achieve goals. They're determined. They're agile leaders. They put strategy in action, teamwork. They're willing to sacrifice. They don't give up. Uh, they perform under pressure and uh, they're motivated and committed. So pretty, pretty good reasons uh, to, to be an athlete or take your game to the next level. So let's let's use that as a segue to translate what we're talking about with regard to sport and translate it to the listeners that are on the show today who aren't athletes. How does your concept of the confident athlete, how does that translate to, to everyday people who aren't competitive athletes, but just want to thrive in their life? To me, confidence is the same. I wrote The Confident Athlete, and I'm in the field of athletics because I love sports. That's just my vehicle to reach people. But the same principles apply. If I'm not an athlete and I want to work on my confidence, let's say it's weight loss. I want to try to be more confident. Then it's my self-talk. It's how I carry myself, my body language. It's creating the images I want to see of myself, and it's putting in the work. And you could take any example, and those four things are going to help you become more confident in whatever you're doing or trying to achieve. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. So, you know, we're in a, as, as you know, no surprise to anyone, we're in a very peculiar time right now uh, where uh, so many of us are on stay-at-home orders. We're faced with this uh, health and economic situation that none of us have really seen in our lifetime, pretty stressful 
How are you seeing that impact the people that you work with and, and what's your kind of global advice for anyone out there who's feeling extra stress given what's going on with COVID, et cetera? What I'm seeing with people I work with and other people that I've, you know, talked to, whether it's, you know, family or friends that aren't athletes. And there's really three groups of people um, that I'm kind of sticking people in. And it's the one it's, oh, no, this has been taken away from me. My job's been taken away. My sport's been taken away. My, you know, ability to to go do what I want's been taken away. Uh, then there's group two. Oh yeah, now I can just be lazy and lay on the couch, catch up on Netflix or you know whatever it may be. And then there's the oh yeah me group, You're which right. I'm using this time to thrive, and I'm finding ways to set myself apart. Yeah, it, it's easy to get caught up in it's been taken away, but like right now, I can't work with teams. I'm having a hard time doing what I used to do. There is Zoom, but it's given me an opportunity to have more time for podcasts, for reaching out to webinars, and I'm reaching a lot more people, and I'm learn- having to learn new technology skills, which is going to better me when we return to whatever our new normal is. I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement about my son and then translate that into a question. And that is that, you know, as a father of a, of a pretty good athlete, um, it's always hard to kind of find that balance of like how hard to push and how much space to give them. You know, I'm sure you've heard this a million times and I think I do a pretty good job. I'm pretty aware and try to, you know, have him be in control of his own destiny while guiding him a little bit. But uh, it's been interesting with this stay at home situation because uh, I definitely am proud to say my son kind of fell into your category three, which is, you know, for months before COVID ever happened, I was like, hey, buddy, you should start lifting weights. You should get in shape. You know, you should get in better shape outside of practice or whatever. And, you know, there was always a reason not to. And then somehow on his own, once the stay at home thing started, he started running, you know, three, four days a week, biking three, four days a week, lifting weights five days a week. And all of a sudden he's, he's kind of, filled in the gaps that I've always felt like he needed to. And it's really taken him to the next level in terms of his physicality. So my question in that is what's your advice for parents of athletes to find that right balance of support and not pushing too much or being too involved? That's a question I get all the time, you know, regardless of the situation we're in right now. And I'm going to revert back to something I said earlier, and it's all about relationships and the communication part. There's not a blanket approach that I could tell you that would work for every single parent because each parent-child relationship is different. So I think it's really learning your child, having open communication with them in non-emotional times, not in the heat of the moment, you know, when, when everything's calm. Hey, what can I do? when I see you're not really pushing yourself? What can I do to help you? If you ask in the moment of emotion, then you're probably not going to get a good answer. So, and that's great advice. That's great advice for business people, married couples. I mean, that's uh, just, that's, that's good advice. (laughs) Like don't, you don't want to walk up to the coach and ask, you know, why your kid isn't, you know, playing enough or something right Mm -hmm. after you got beat down for nothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, to add to that, I think number two is learning why your son, why your daughter plays their sport. Does the parent have a different goal in mind than the athlete, than the child has? 
and making sure if they tell you, hey, yes, I want to play Division One, then using their why to help push them. If they just do it for fun and it's something social, then you can push them all day, but it's probably going to cause a strain between you guys. And how often do you find that the parent wants it more than the kid? I would say that's a mixed bag. 50-50? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's all over the place. Uh, you know, you, I see even people I'm close to, they're kind of living vicariously through their child. Yeah. Uh, you know, wish they had had different opportunities or they have regrets. So I definitely see that. And then I see others on the opposite end of the spectrum where they don't understand why their child works so hard to push us so hard for a sport. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can see both for sure. I'm going to switch over and read you a quote and just get your reaction. Always be yourself and have faith in yourself. Do not go out and look for a successful personality and try to duplicate it. Just be the best self you can be. That's from Bruce Lee, who I've never quoted before. I like that one. It goes back to what I mentioned about comparison. If you're going out looking for someone else, then you're comparing yourself and trying to be someone you aren't. We were all made unique. And I I think that's the beauty of it. And that's finding, again, the special strengths, the special traits, the special skills that we bring to this world. Forget even athletics, but as human beings. So how do you guide an athlete to do that? Because I don't know a a young athlete who doesn't have their favorite aspirational athlete that they either in their sport that they either try to emulate or that they think they're most similar to in style or whatever. So how do you help them separate the two and find their own unique vision of who they are as an athlete? I think having role models is healthy. I think that's good because we can learn things from our role models but encouraging them, what traits can you emulate, but not trying to compare, but emulate so you're working on that skill to become you. Growing up, Chris Everett, kind of dating myself, but she was my role model. Right. Um, but we were, we were different people. I didn't want to be Chris Everett. I wanted to have a, you know, the ground strokes that Chris Everett had. Uh, So it was taking from that. And then as I watched other athletes, oh, I like that about them, that that helps my game. I want to what are they doing to work on their footwork? How can I incorporate that into getting better? So it's trying to become the best all around you that you can become, which means we can learn from individuals, but not trying to be that individual. I, I think it's a you know fine line there, but helping them understand, learn from your role models, but you don't want to be like Mike. Right. So if, so if someone, um, if someone meets you and they haven't seen your book, they haven't seen your website, they haven't heard you on a webinar like I did, what do you say that you do? Hey, what do you do, Tammy? What, what's your answer? Well, first of all, I tell them I have the best job in America because I believe that. But um, <laughs> I, I tell them I'm a, a mental game coach and I compare it to you have psychologists and you have life coaches. I'm more like a life coach for athletes. Let's figure out what the strengths you have, and let's really work on those and let's eliminate or reduce the weaknesses. And and I'm a confidence builder. I use that term as well a lot. Now, I I, I saw on your website that you have some important like leadership certifications and whatnot. What was your degree in and, you know, what, you know, what other training besides having been an athlete and a coach, which is ample, uh, do you have that relates to what you do? Uh, Undergrad was in psychology. Mm -hmm. 
And then I thought, okay, well, I want to teach and coach. So I went to get my teaching and coaching, well, teaching certification so I could teach and coach in high school. Mm -hmm. And to pay for it, started working in a tennis club. And the head pro there was like, oh, you'd be great at being a teaching pro. So kind of veered off the path of that I was headed down and became a certified teaching pro. And then realized that I probably should go back to grad school. Wasn't really convinced, but probably should. So I went back to University of North Carolina for uh, sports administration. Mm. I thought, okay, I want to, I, I knew I wanted to be in the sporting industry. My dad had always said, don't teach and coach because he had been a football coach. So that led to me actually being a coach, a uh, men and women's tennis coach in college. And just again, as a coach, I just knew there was something about the brain. So trying to any conference I could attend, any book I could pick up and ran into Dr. Patrick Colm. Uh, he's a sports psychologist in Florida and uh, he has a certification. So I talked to him, loved what he was saying and still follow him heavily and became certified under him. Uh, since then, I've been trained under John Gordon. Are you familiar with John Gordon? Uh, I, I No, I'm not. I, but I saw that you have the certica- certification from there. Yeah. Uh, he's probably, I think I've read these the top, in the top 10 keynote speakers right now, but he does a lot of work with Clemson football, LA Rams, the Dodgers. Um, and, and it's all just about the power of positivity. Uh, the majority of his books. So I've been trained in presenting his workshops as well, which has opened up a lot of new doors. That's fantastic. So, so for those people that do have um, young athletes uh, in their family, what would it look like to start working with you? Like I just, I find you, I read your book. I go, Hey, you'd be great for my son. What's what happens next? Well, usually it's the parent that's always interested first. Of course. And, yeah. <laughs> That's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my child needs this. Are they here? Someone else is using me. So Susie's using her, so Sally needs to. Yeah, they can't, they can't, Susie can't have the edge over Sally. That's not gonna happen. So we're gonna we're gonna pony up the money. <laughs> so what I always require, if it's not the athlete contacting me and that and just knowing that the athlete that they're all in is a, a free 20 to 30 minute session. If we're in the same area, I prefer in person, if not on Zoom, so we can get to know each other and make sure the athlete feels comfortable with me. If they don't feel comfortable with me, we can't build a relationship and we're just going to be wasting time and money. And so then I ask them to go back, talk to their parents. If they're comfortable, then let's get started. If not, let's don't. So I try to have that up front again, just to save everybody time and money. But then the next thing is I have a little uh, questionnaire and it gives me a better idea of where this athlete, how we can make them stronger mentally. And, and again, it's funny that when the parent calls, they want to tell me everything wrong. I, I hate to say that, but that's what parents <laughs> say with their child. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, when you talk to the child, it's, well, my mom says I need work on this. Well, my dad says I need work on this. Well, what do you need? Sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's different. And it's putting this whole piece together because I don't think the athlete always knows. And I think the parents have their own ideas, but putting this piece together of, okay, let's set this game plan. And this is the area we're going to hit first and getting, letting the athlete work with me. We're working together. It's not just me coaching them. Yeah. And 
you know, we'll try to hit this area and we work on it again. Usually something else will evolve from that and we go down another path. Is it typically weekly? Is it, you know, once a month? How long does it usually last? What I like to initially uh, require is a month buy-in. And that's, I like to it once a week. I know with schedule, sometimes that's not always possible, but once a week for a month, so four times, and then it's up to you if you want to continue. The idea is after four sessions, hopefully we've built a good foundation. It's not a magic pill. So one session, boom, you're not going to be the strongest, toughest, most confident person out there. So four sessions after that, all right, let's check in once a month or twice a month or once every other month, whatever you feel is needed. Kind of like a golfer will reach out to their swing coach. Hey, struggling. Or you go, or you, or you go to the massage therapist every once in a while, like, Oh, my back, my back's out, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Perfect example there. Exactly. (laughs) It's, you know, we all need two notes. Do you work with non-serious athletes? So obviously you work with a lot of high school athletes. You work with a lot of college athletes. Do you ever just have the, you know, 57 year old golfer who's like, I need to work on my mental game. Oh, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of golfers in the area I live in, and I've had a handful of older guys that, you know, it's important for them to uh, beat the th- other threesome that they play with, you know. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I have that a lot. That's funny. And, and then you get a lot of your parents' friends that, you know, that just reach out and, hey, give me a quick advice. And, you know, I'll, I'll give them a quick advice here or there, but I'm like, you know, ideally, this is when you work at it. You got to work on the mental part, just like you do the physical part. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. So are, are you still competing in um, in tennis or basketball in any way? I don't. About three years ago, I had a tennis shoulder for the second surgery on my sh- shoulder. So that was the second major surgery I'd had on my shoulder. So I've kind of hung up competing on the tennis court. Every once in a while, I'll still give a lesson. Mm-hmm. That's what I like working with tennis players. I get out on the court and actually, you know, apply the mental part with the physical part. Basketball, I'll just shoot around for fun with teams I work with. But I've, I've kind of transitioned into running and biking for my competition. You, um, you, you brought up an interesting point that I, I forgot to ask about. And that is, how do you deal with the confidence component around injury, right? Like I, you know, I was a high level ski racer. That was my primary sport. I've had six knee surgeries and bounce and bouncing back from that, you know, became increasingly challenging as it related to confidence. And I'm sure you find that with lots of athletes when, you know, they have any kind of injury, it's, you know, it does something to your confidence. So how do you cope with that? Well, it goes, if you apply those four skills and that's the great thing, those four skills can be applied to about anything. But let's make sure your talk is positive or productive. So many times athletes are like, oh, man, I'll never be the same or this hurts so bad. Well, let's change the self-talk, which changes your focus. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. Just like right now, we don't know what's going to happen in the future with, with the COVID. So let's work on what can you do right now and getting the focus and self-talk on getting better. That's the first step. What do you, you know, doing your therapy, doing your recovery. The next is your body's language and then seeing that healthy you and putting those images and how you're going to compete afterwards and, and putting in the work. You've got to put in the rehab to come back strong. But again, at the end of the day, it's finding what is good. What is good in the injury? And, you know, a lot of times, oh, 
I can't play my sport. It's been taken away from me. Again, similar comments to what we have going on right now. Mm -hmm. Or it's like, okay, my body needed this break. This is good. Or during this injury, I get to work on bettering another aspect of myself physically and mentally. And again, it just trying to turn the focus. But uh, I have a favorite saying, it's called, this is good, which is based off an African folktale. Mm. And the whole idea is bad things happen. But if you stay alive mentally long enough, something good can happen from it. I can't play tennis to the degree I wanted to anymore, but it's really opened up uh, my life to other sports, which now I love just as much. So in many ways, this is good for me. I love that. I love that. There's a, when I was in an office environment uh, in, in a leadership position, you know, people often would come to you with their problems, right? And I would always, particularly the the people that would come to me repeatedly with kind of negative scenarios, I would stop them before they could open their mouth. And I'd be like, hey, so tell me something good. You know, before they could open their mouth, I'd be like, tell me, <laughs> tell me something good. And they'd be like, it would be so, so jarring for them. They're like, oh, well, I didn't have anything good to tell you. You could see their mind racing. <laughs> I would just try to throw them off a little bit like, yeah, tell me something good. So um, with that, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Tammy. And I guarantee you, you helped many of them change the way they thought because we can just get stuck in that routine of, of, oh, this is bad. That's bad. This is bad. And then, you know, I, I tell people it probably is, but you want to be right or successful. And, you know, you can argue all right. You're right all day that something's bad, but that's not going to help you be successful. Exactly. I agree 100 percent. So so as we wrap up, Tammy, I mean, first of all, you brought a wealth of uh positivity and, and, and great uh, tools for people to be thinking about whether they're athletes or not. Is there anything else you want to say to the audience um, that we didn't cover? Just that your mind is the most powerful thing that you have going for you. And I, I think once we recognize that and we recognize, let it work for you instead of against you, it's your best friend, then we're going to be happier. We're going to be more successful and you're going to be a magnet. People are going to want to be around you. People are going to know what is, what is it that he or she has. And again, it, it's just what you decide to focus on determines your life. Yeah, super positive, super simple, and uh, not not easy to always do, but simple in theory to remember uh, that your mind uh, is your greatest asset when used positively. So I thank you so much for being here, Tammy. You were a great guest. And uh, you can uh, learn more about what she does. Promote your website and your book real quick. Okay. Website is www.r2lc.com. Uh, that's for Refuse to Lose Coaching. And the book is The Confident Athlete. And also, I want to add at the end of the month, hopefully have This Is Good coming out as well as, as another book. Oh, fantastic. Awesome. Well, you've been a great guest. I appreciate it so much. This has been another episode of Clear Choices, and I hope all you listeners can uh, take some seeds of wisdom from today's episode and apply it to your life. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, 
And you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.